Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. So we are working through uh, this little tiny letter uh, that we call Titus. Um, it's right there towards the end of the New Testament, and it's, um, it's, it's short. It's only three chapters. We're actually going to wrap up the second chapter today, um, and, and maybe one, maybe two more times in, in, in Titus. And so what's going on in Titus, just really, really quick, because we don't have time, but I know several are here for the first time. You can check out the podcast to catch up. But uh, Paul and Titus uh, end up on this little island called Crete in the uh, Mediterranean Sea. And Paul continues over to the, to the next town, to the next place to take the gospel. But he leaves Titus in Crete with a very specific mission. And we're going to look at that again today because that's what the whole letter is about. He leaves them there for a specific reason. And Paul has written this letter in essence to give um, it's kind of like talking about teachers. It's kind of like a teacher. When I was in school, at least we had to have permission forms, permission slips to like walk through the hall, hall pass or something. I don't know. It's probably not a thing today. I'm not sure. Um, but but if the teacher said you could go to the bathroom, well, that wasn't good enough. We had to have a little hall pass to carry with us, so that if any other teacher, you know, you know, stopped us, we could just hold up that hall pass and say, hey. I've got permission. This is what I was sent to do to go to the bathroom or, you know, go get something for the teacher. Similarly, Paul had explained already to Timothy what he was leaving him, them for. He didn't, Timothy just didn't wake up, you know, one morning and like Paul's gone and then he checks the mail a few days later and he gets a letter. I mean, he already knew for sure why Paul left him there, but Paul sent him this letter that Titus, like that hall pass, can show all of the naysayers, all of the, as Paul calls them, the, uh, the, those who oppose the gospel. He could show them this letter from Paul and say, no, look, this is what Paul told me to do. And so you, your beef isn't with me because Titus was a Gentile. Your beef is with Paul who was, I guess, a Jew. Uh, always Jew ethnically, but, you know, he was a Jew religiously at one point in time because the opposition, as in most of Paul's journeys, was that after the gospel had really started settling in, there were these outside groups from, uh, from the circumcision, from Jew Jews, who would say, look, 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 it can't be this simple. It can't just be that Jesus' faith in him has signed, sealed, and delivered, and rescued, and you are complete. There has to be more. And for the Jew, the religious, the more was always trying to follow the ordinances of Moses, to follow the codes, the law, the religion of Judaism. And so they got to the point in some cities that uh, Gentile men were actually, like adult Gentile men were so concerned about making sure that they were okay with God 
that they ended up actually circumcising themselves as men in order to just ensure that they actually were okay with Jesus. And Paul is like pulling his hair out. Like, I don't think he had any hair left, you know, by the end of his third missionary journey. He's like, how can you guys be so foolish to buy into this add-ons, these add-ons to what Jesus simply has done and what he's given to us and made us in him? And so he leaves Titus on Crete, this little island, to set things in order. And that's the first verse we're going to be reminded of uh, this this morning. This is back in chapter 1. We're going to look at chapter 2 today, but just to build some context, he says, for this reason, Titus, I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains. Now, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, Bob. It's not a good time for amen. If, if, if Paul leaves Titus to set things in order, what likely is the status of when Paul was there. Disorder. We all, we all there? Right? It's not just me, right? We can all, we're in, we're in unison, spirit speaks. Right. So there was disorder. There was a lack of order. And so I think, again, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We have to ask the question, why? Let's, let's, let's really ingest what's going on here in these letters. This is a personal letter from a man, Paul, to a man, Titus. And we can really learn a lot if we don't just skim through and say, hey, I read my Bible today. But there's so much going on in here. So what's out of order? What is not in order? Before we get into that, let's just think of this word order. When you think of the word order, like outside of this passage, what comes to mind? What, what idea comes when we think of the word order? Organized, organized okay. Things in a certain uh, organization. It's organized. What else? Tetris. Tetris, all right. Certain arrangement of things so that you can not lose, you know? All right. Purpose. Say again? Underlying purpose. Uh, underlying purpose. There's an order. There's an... Um, the a reason behind, okay? What are our thoughts? I think we're, we might be overthinking some. Those are great, but there's something we do every single day, especially when you go to a restaurant. Give an order. Say again? Give an order. You give an order. What you want, right? You're sitting at the restaurant, and the lady says, are you ready for, you, for me to take your order? And so it's something that we, we want. It's, it's my order. This is what I desire. Also, you think of it more of a command sense, like in a military setting, you know, these are my orders. This is what I've been told to do, and so I better, you know, go do them or face, you know, court-martial or something. So there's, there's not, it's not just a desire, but there's also the, uh, a command element to it. So this word order, it, it has a lot of different flavors and, and flares in, in our minds when we think of it. So we, we do think of the arrangement but we also think of, you know, what's something that you want done. These are my orders. This is what I would like to have. Um, now, let's think of arrangement for a second. Have husbands, let me ask you this. Have you ever taken the initiative to arrange something? Maybe, I don't know, the house, the, the dishes, the refrigerator. You've taken it upon yourself to arrange things and uh, only to find out that you arranged it Completely wrongly. Anybody? That's, that's, okay, we've got, we've got some. Okay, a couple, all right? 
Uh, you take the initiative to arrange all the kids' clothing in their, in their you know, uh, dr dressers and come to find out, you know, it's all wrong. It's the wrong kids' clothes, but they're in the dressers, right? They're arranged. So even the idea of arrangement depends, if you will, it's subjective to the person who is doing the arranging. So one person's arrangement is like, that's how I want it arranged. But another person says, no, it needs to be arranged this way. It goes back to two weeks ago, the amazing, amazing message that Craig spoke about authority. Who is the author of this gospel? And whoever the author of the gospel, he alone has the authority for it to be arranged or ordered the way that he desires and orders it to be ordered. So... There were things out of order. The gospel was not being realized for what it truly was in Crete. And so Paul leaves Titus there to reorder it, to put it back in order. So the question is, what was out of order? And then ultimately, what's the right order? Because 2,000 years later, should be of no surprise, we still struggle with this order of how God has ordered the gospel to be. How does he want it to be? Does he want, like, if you, if you were to take uh, Drake, my, my middle son, my son, my middle child, and if you on his plate were to, for, you know, the, the uh, carrots to touch the hamburger bun, it's, it's like disaster. They're not supposed to touch. Meat? I could care less. It's all going to mix up anyways. And so how is it that God himself ordered, desired this thing to be? Because if we do it a different way, we're out of order and we're actually happy to see what's going on in this island of Crete. We have it today. He says four. So I want, this is just a review of chapter one. I'm leaving you to set things in order because there are many rebellious men and empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, this is the Jews, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole family, teaching things. The stuff coming from their mouth are things that they should not teach. And really they're doing it, Paul says, for the sake of sordid gain, just to gain wealth, gain popularity, gain power in the community. And so what the Jews, the, 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 whether they were believers or not, I don't know. One point kind of sounds like they're believers in chapter 1. Another point definitely sounds like they're not. But whatever they are, they're teaching something that, has, that is not in order. It's not arranged the same way that God has set up this new covenant, this thing of Christianity to actually be. And if we're not careful, we do the same. We think the same. Because what the Jew was, was doing is what we naturally do ourselves. We think that the order tends to be, let us discover the things that are right and let's figure out the things that are wrong and let's do our best to not do the things that are wrong. And let's do our best to do the things that are right. Now, 
hopefully not in this fellowship, but in any other fellowship that I've ever been a part of at least, if we were to take a poll and we were to say, is that not good order to just do our best to not do what's wrong and to do our best to do what is right? Is that not good order in the church? Probably 90 plus percent of the hands will go, yeah, that's the right order. Don't do what's bad and, and do your best to do what's good. And that's exactly what the Jews were teaching in this setting in the first century, that by these commandments, the commandments of men, which Paul said actually leads people away from Jesus, by focusing on the commandments of men, don't eat this, do eat that, don't lie, don't this, don't, don't do the bad, do the good, by focusing on these commands, it was actually leading them further and further from, from Jesus. But we think that the morality of that is good. Why would we not want people to do less wrong and do more right? Who's against that? Well, the issue isn't about doing good and doing evil. The issue is about by what, what fuels that, what motivates that, what drives that. Let's real briefly, before we get to chapter 2, let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, if you remember... There were two trees in the Garden of Eden. The tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil. And the tree of life. Two trees in the garden. Now somebody answer this question for us. Of what tree did Adam and Eve literally ingest that resulted in, they brought it into themselves that literally resulted in their death? The knowledge of good and evil. I know that fries some circuits for us, but Adam and Eve took the knowledge of good and evil, of right and wrong, don't do the wrong and do the right. They brought that into themselves and the result was cursedness, death. Why? Does God not want us to not do the evil and to not, and I said that, to do evil and to not do right? Is that what God wants? I don't think that's it at all. I think it's what is the source of that, what fuels the right and the wrong. And so the law was created hundreds, thousands of years later after the garden to bring to codification, if you will, this simple knowledge of right and wrong. And the Jew had held on to this instead of seeing the purpose, which was to bring us to the end of ourselves. They saw it as a jumping stone to try to jump off the ground to get a little bit closer to God. If I would but do this, then I'd be blessed and things would be good. And so you have a whole system of religion, of morality being taught on Crete and as well as today, that if we simply don't do what's wrong and we try our best to do right, then we are honoring God. That's his order. But the reality is that's disorder because the right and the wrong is being done for not the right reasons. If you are given laws and commandments, as most of us have in life, to do this and to not do that, and the thinking is by doing them or not doing them, you're either getting closer to God or you're getting further from God, then what is the motivation for this good work? What is the motivation for behavior? Good 
gain status with God. To gain status with God. All right. Absolutely. What about the other side of it? I better do it. Otherwise, I will what? Lose status with God. Perish. And so, quote-unquote obedience or quote-unquote doing good things is motivated by fear, by anxiety, by I better or else. It could also be fueled by self-righteousness of, hey, I want to feel a little bit better about myself and, and you know, my own you know, uh, abilities, and so I, I strive to do good things. And so what's being taught by these, especially of the circumcision, is that this is the order that God has ordered this thing of Christianity to be. You try your best to do what's right. You try your best to not do what's wrong. And by basically your ability to, to toe that line, you're gaining status or you're losing status. The question of the day is, is that the order? Is that the order that God has ordered for this Christianity to be ordered? <laughs> and the answer, obviously, is no. And so Paul leaves Titus to set things back in order. So the, these, if you would call them Pharisees, these legalists, I mean, they, I don't think they were official Pharisees, but they were these legalists that were saying that teaching these things they ought not teach. They were leading these people astray leading them from, away from Christ and towards these commands, thinking that the commands and the doing of the good themselves itself is what makes them better or worse with God. And they were pointing at the Cretans, the, 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 the people of Crete, and they were saying, look how wicked they are. They need more of these laws in order to get the wickedness to turn around to become godliness. And so Paul Picking up in chapter 2, he says, all right, Titus, now this is what they're doing, but as for you, now here we're starting to get some order. This is what they're doing, but now as for you, speak the things which are fitting for good work, or for, uh, for sound doctrine. Speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. In other words, Titus, I want you, what's coming out of their mouth, what they're speaking is evil, it's, it's for sword gain, it's for self-interest, it's out of order, it's disorder. It's not what God ordered. But I want you to speak what God has ordered. I want you to speak what the truth really is, this sound doctrine. And I want you to speak the things that fit with sound doctrine. And so what we're about to read are a couple of verses, I think it's four or five verses, of how Paul, uh, Paul to Titus describes as we come to the realization of what this sound doctrine, and he'll, he'll define that further in, I think, verse 12, as we, get to, as we come to understand what this sound doctrine really is, and as we receive the truth of what Jesus really has done, in other words, as things in our minds are set in order of the truth of this gospel, I want you to talk about the things that will come from that. I want you to talk about the things that result from that. I want you to talk about the clothing that fits the person who is this thing, the new heart, the new man, the new creation. Because remember, the empty talkers were saying, you guys, there's no way God's okay with you because you're still sinning in this. You're still doing that. And they're looking at the behavior to discredit the individual. 
And Paul is saying, no, that's not the order. That's not how this thing works. God doesn't look at the outer, but he looks at the heart. David learned that. And so Paul begins to describe what this, what fits a person who is truly receiving the reality of God's grace for them. And he's going to talk about household relationships. Apparently, what the Judaizers were doing is they, their, their false teaching was really impacting how husbands and wives and kids related to one another and how women connected with women, etc. And so he says, here's what is fitting for those who truly understand the gospel. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. In other words, what they, uh, the, the reality of this faith of, of, what, of total dependency upon Jesus Christ must be sound. If you think, like, what does sound mean? Don't think of, like, hearing something. Think of uh, an ocean that's, that's, that's uh, raging, but they take the ship into the sound like over in uh, the Outer Banks, they have what's it, the Albemarle Sound, whatever it is. They have the sound so where they would take the boats so that they would not be shipwrecked when the storm came in. And that's the idea. Your faith must be in such a place that it's not shipwrecked when all this storm comes in. Your love, the same. Your perseverance, the same. It's steadfast in the truth of what Jesus has actually done. Older men, temperate, dignified sensible. Now, Paul's point is, as you understand what sound doctrine really is, what God really has done to you, these are the things that you're going to begin to see. You're going to be temperate. You're going to be dignified, sensible. But the fuel isn't fear of doing or not doing some sort of commandment of man, but the fuel is something else, which I'll save that for verse, I think it's verse 12. Older women, likewise, okay, Here's how this looks in your life. Reverent in their behavior. Respectable, in other words. Not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine. I hear Paul saying is, as you're understanding what Jesus really has done to you and who you really are, these things aren't going to be what comes forth from you. Teaching what is good is what's going to come from you. Not enslavement to, to much wine. Verse 4, so that they, the older women, may encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children. And so, again, the, the false doctrine was uh, messing this up. And what Paul is saying is if we get back to the reality of what the gospel really is, which he clarifies again in a few verses, it sets things in order. Older women encouraging younger women, older men being temperate with younger and this exampleship happening, this mentorship, good stuff, order. To be sensible, teaching them, uh, setting an example to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God might not be dishonored. Now, we're not going to go through every single one of these and pick them all apart. We just don't have time for it. But a lot of people pick up on, okay, workers at homes. Does that mean that a woman only has responsibility in the home and they're not allowed to do anything else? That's not at all what I hear him saying. I hear him say, workers at home. But it doesn't say workers at home and nowhere else. In fact, if you want to be blown away by what uh, the honor of a worker at home looks like, read Proverbs 31. 
I mean, it's amazing what this woman in Proverbs 31 does. She goes out, she sells land, she buys land, she does this, she does that. She is an amazing contributor to her home. And that's all I hear him saying. It's not, let's, don't, let's don't read beyond. Let's don't read a bunch of garbage into this. Being subject to their own husbands. Does that mean that the husband has the right to, uh, to demand this subjectiveness, this, this uh, submissiveness? That's not what he says. He says, wives, you, this is how you show your love towards your husband, by being submissive to them. Does it mean that husbands are not submissive to their wives? Not at all. In fact, it's explained very clearly in Ephesians chapter 5 that all of us are submissive to all of us. And this is how wives are submissive to husbands. This is how husbands are submissive to wives. This is how parents are submissive to children. What? We're to be submissive to our children? Read Ephesians 5. It's very clear. This is how children are submissive to their, to their parents. So we submit to one another, but not lording over them. The day in which you husband says, Why, woman, you better submit yourself to me, you've lost it. I mean, you've totally lost it because that is not at all how Christ treats his church. He doesn't have to because of this love that Craig was just talking about. He doesn't need to. Because the bride of Christ receives the love that Christ has for us. And we volitionally say, we are yours. Thank you. As we submit ourselves to him. So that the word of the Lord will not be disarmed. That's what he's connecting it to. As we see this in our marriages, the shadow, we start to proclaim the gospel. This is the order. Likewise, urge the younger men to be sensible. That's what's going to happen. It's sensible, being, just being reasonable. Don't, being, don't be fools. Verse 7, in all things, show yourself. Now he's talking, I think, directly to Titus. Show yourself, Titus, to be an example of good deeds. And here's the rub. Because the Judaizers, the circumcision crowd, was saying they're not doing enough good deeds. They, they need to be, do more good deeds. They need more Moses. They need more laws, more rules, more regulations. They need to do more Mobetta. But what Paul is saying, look, here's how the good deeds come. They, they need to come, but not by laws, rules, and regulations. There's order. That's not the order. Here's the order. You're going to be an example in good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified. How does that work? We're going to get to it. It's in a few verses. But before I do, remember back to chapter 1. I think it was the very last verse, if I'm not mistaken. He says at the end of chapter 1, he says that these false teachers are worthless for good deeds. Remember that? Worthless for good deeds. And these are the ones who are saying you need to do good deeds. But it's so out of order that it's worthless. It's pointless. Their good deeds were fueled by fear, by self-righteousness, by the need to do them in order to, as Jonah said, to gain ground with the Lord. And that's not order. That's not the way it works. And he says to Titus, be sound in your speech, which is beyond reproach. Remember? False teachers were speaking things that should not be spoken. And Paul is saying now the things, uh, Titus, that you speak, speak things which are beyond reproach. Nobody can levy against you so that the opponent, who's the opponent? These are the circumcision, these false teachers, these Judaizers. So that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. So let's catch this drama. I mean, this is like, you know, NBC, 9 p.m. I mean, this is really cool. Paul is saying, 
All of this distraction, all this lack of order is coming about because they are actually right now able to levy some charge. What's happening is not beyond reproach. They're levying some charges against the church because of some sinfulness likely happening in the church. And so they keep on saying, you need more, you need, to, you need to do better, you need to try harder, you need to, you need to, you need to. And Paul is saying to Titus, listen, if we get this order correctly and we start seeing good deeds coming forth, then they're going to be what? Yeah. Silence. They don't have anything to say. But don't succumb to their false teaching that all you need is just works, behavior, improvement plan. It works differently. So the goal is to put those false teachers to shame. But as long as there's immorality in the church, as long as older women are gossiping to younger women, as long as older men are not temperate with the younger men, as long as all those issues were happening, the opponents, they got plenty of firepower. Look at what you're doing. I know personally that those of us that I would call in the grace alone camp, even today, we have received plethora of these opponent, uh, what's the word, um, condemnations, saying from a variety of things, the biggest one that kind of irks me is that those of you talking about like someone like myself who believes solely in the grace of God, those of you in that grace only camp you know, you, let's just be honest. You're really own, you're just simply, you're, you're closet sinners. You, 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 don't, you don't have a leg to stand on. You're closet sinners. You do all your sinning in the closet. You, you don't do it out in public, but you, you do it all behind closed doors. Hey, that might be true. I don't know. But first of all, that doesn't change the gospel. It doesn't change what is. But secondly, it's like, so their solution to sin problem, even closet sinning problem, is to not grow more in the grace of God. It's to revert back to at least the Ten Commandments, a standard by which we ought to live, the commandments of men, which, as Paul said in chapter 1, turn us away from truth. And so that's not an issue just for the first century. This is an issue today. I'm not going to get into the details of beloved men and women who have even left our fellowship but there have been men and women who have left our fellowship saying Walt I've, I've said this before so I'll say this, if, if you don't teach the Ten Commandments no one will know how to live we're just going to sin all the more if you don't teach us the Ten Commandments completely opposite of what the apostles taught apostles taught that the Ten Commandments were the ministry of what? Starts with the D, death. That it was the ministry of such the C, condemnation. condemnation. I don't want death and condemnation. I want life and liberty and freedom, which is Christ. So, this isn't something that's they're just dealing with, but as but Paul is saying, as long as there is behavior issues, they're going to keep coming at you with all of this garbage. So let's realize behavior is a deal. It is a deal. But what fuels the good works? What fuels the good behavior? 
Is it the commandments of men or is it something else? Well, let's hold our answers for a few minutes. He says, urge bond slaves. Now, it sounds like bond slaves. You're just talking about men and women and children. Well, in this culture, apparently bond slaves were a very, very common in the family. And so he says, hey, bond slaves in this family, be subject to your own masters and everything. Now, is Paul condoning bond slavery? No. He's, it's just a fact. It's what was going on on the island of Crete 2,000 years ago. But what an amazing opportunity for the, for the transforming work of Christ in these bond servants to give testimony to this grace of God when even in this situation, when they are bond servants, they actually express the life of Christ towards their master. I mean, what other sort of religion, philosophy, or whatever can even come close to that sort of stuff? And so he says, bond slaves... You be subject to your masters. Be well-pleasing, not argumentative. Let life, let Christ rule. Don't, don't worry about rules. Let Christ rule. And he's going to lead you in this non-argumentative, non-well-pleasing, uh, not pilfering. I like that word, pilfering. But it's this idea of taking something that's not yours, obviously. But these bond servants, they were in place, they were in charge with, in some families, Basically, the entire household work, buying and trading at the market, they were in charge. And so it would be very easy for them just to slip, you know, some cash or some, you know, some extra, you know, food for their family into their pocket. And Paul's saying, look, that's not from Christ. That's not fitting from this sound doctrine that, that is the right order. And so he says, showing good faith, but, but showing all good faith, so that they, these bond servants, look at this, will adorn, adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. I love that. What he's saying is, as you see what truly fuels, which he's going to say in a second, as you see what truly fuels this good work, this good deeds, you're actually, as long as, it's, as long as the deed is being fueled by the right source, you are actually wearing. You're actually dressed. It's fitting you like a dress, like a gown, like a suit. The doctrine of God, which he describes in a second, is grace. Verse 11. Oh, it's right here. Verse 11. Four. Okay, so he's talked to... Older men, he's talked about younger men, he's talked about older women, younger women, kids. He's talked about bond servants. He's talked about how, how fitting it is for our behavior to be above reproach. It's fitting. And as that happens, the opponents, well, they don't have any arrows left. Because their arrows are, look at how much <coughs> sinning you guys are doing. And now Paul explains the order. The order of how this good works, this godly living, is to be fueled. I've said it a million times, the word F-O-R, when you see that in the scripture, it's always explaining what was just read. Craig brought this point up a couple of weeks ago, I think talking about this passage here in chapter 2. If we're not careful, we can read Titus chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 and stop at verse 10, and we can end up doing and teaching the exact same way that these uh, opponents of the gospel of grace were teaching and saying. 
Because you take those 10 verses we just looked at, husbands do this, older men do that, younger women do, 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 be, do, 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 do stuff. And it could come across as that's it. Just try to do this and try not to do that. Isn't that exactly what Paul's speaking against? And it is. And so what he is explaining, we have to keep reading for, let me explain all this. This is the order. This is the fuel for it is the grace of God that has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. The grace of God, the subject, instructing, that's super bold, instructing us. What is instructing us? English class, the grace of God. So the grace of God brought salvation. We all know that. They even knew that. But here's the kicker. Here's the part that was out of order. And I think it's out of order even today, and even in our thinking, if not in our churches. It's the grace of God that is instructing us. It's instructing us to do what? To deny ungodliness. Well, wait a second. I thought it was the law of Moses that instructed that. Sure, if you want to be out of order, that's not the order. What is the order? It's that grace instructs us to deny ungodliness. Grace instructs us to deny worldly desires. Grace instructs us to live sensibly, to live righteously and godly in the present age. What is, who is our teacher? Is it the commands of men and of Moses? No. It is the reality of God's grace towards you. This reality that he has taken you through by his own work, his own effort, and none of yours. He has taken you through a death, eliminating the old, burying the old, and birthing a brand new you. As Mary Rose said earlier, a new creation. That reality of God's grace towards us teaches us. This word instructing is where we get the word, um, uh, what do we take the, doc, the kids? Pediatrician. We get the word pediatrician from this word in the Greek. So this idea of instructing, it's not just, hey, didn't I tell you? But it's the idea of patiently teaching a young child how to tie their shoes. Are they going to get it after the first time? Not if it's my kid. <laughs> Teaching a young child how to use, be potty trained. They're going to get it after the one time? Not my kid. It's, this is the word instructing. It's a patient, loving, caring, makes sense, gracious teaching and instructing and urging and correcting and motivating us. The grace of God patiently like we teach a young, young child patiently to deny ungodliness. In other words, to say no to sin and to live sensibly and godly in the present age. In other words, to say yes to Jesus. It's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. This is what was out of order in Crete. And I'm suggesting to you, it is still out of order in the majority of our churches and in our own minds. And if it's out of order, 
if it doesn't get back in order, then what in the world are we doing? I mean, you ever stared at a drink machine that's out of order and you just keep pushing the buttons, hoping something happens? It's kind of senseless. So I say, let's get in order. And the order is this. We don't look to commands for life. We don't look to commands of Moses or of anywhere for, for, for the ability to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. We look to the grace of God because that is what teaches us. Well, how does that work, Walt? I'm glad you asked. As Paul explains it. Looking, we're looking for this blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who he defines the grace of God. It's really cool. I love how the scripture answers the scriptures, right? Now, this, we're going to stop after this verse. I think there's one more verse. And we're going to continue this next week because next week there's even more. How? How does this work? So you have to come back. But who gave himself. Here's grace. Who gave himself. That's what grace means. It is a, a free gift. So he's saying he gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. Here's how grace instructs us. You are free from sin. You are free from sin. I'll never forget Craig's message a year ago or more. We talked about being dead to sin from Romans 6. And how we could use the illustration of the, uh, of the peaches, you know, in the coffin. Is this idea of this guy, you know, addicted to peaches. You love peaches. You can't have enough peaches. But when you die and you're laying in there in the casket, how much desire for peaches are you going to have? None. Because you died to them. That's the reality of our relationship to sin. We have died to sin. We are freed from it. We, our true heart, desires sin as much as God desires sin. It's not our nature anymore. So what desires sin within us? Well, it starts with an S and ends with an N. Sin. The power of sin that's alive in our mortal bodies desires sin. But we have been redeemed from every lawless deed. We're dead to it. So how does the grace of God instruct us to deny ungodliness? Number one, it teaches us that we're free. It's not even our desires anymore. We're dead to it. It's not our nature any longer. We have a new husband, a new lover. His name is Jesus. So it teaches us by reminding us we're, we're redeemed from every lawless deed. And he gave himself to purify for himself. If God purified you for himself, how pure are you? Let's just, let's just think about that for a second. If he purified himself for him, you for himself, how pure are you? I have a confession. You ready for this? There have been times in my life as a parent when I've made dinner or made a snack or made something and that said food item has fallen on the floor and it's the snack is for one of the kids and I have picked it up, brushed it off, you know, and I put it back into the bowl for the kid to eat. I confess. I must confess. I wouldn't eat it. <laughs> but they don't know. <laughs> So look at, look at this. He didn't pure, look, look at it. He didn't purify you for someone else. Does that make sense? He didn't purify you for someone else. He purified you for himself. So how pure are you? 
That's how the grace of God instructs us. We are clean. No matter how much dirt we get into today, he has separated us from the sin as far as the east is from the west. We are clean. So when you have a revelation of your cleanliness, how much does that, uh, uh, how much does that tempt you to go and get dirty? Who, who has a work truck and who has like a nice like family vehicle? Anybody have one of those? Okay, you guys have some. Would you ever take the nice family vehicle to go take the trash to the dump or something along those lines? No, because you have a dump truck, not a dump truck, but like a truck for the dump for that stuff. If we realize how clean we are, we're not going to put the trash in. That's how grace instructs us. Does that make sense? And uh, to purify for himself a people of his own possession. So if we are his own possession, how close are we to him? You really think about that. His own possession. We're his. He, we're in him. He's in us. As we've talked about oneness with him. The grace. This is, this is not commandments of men. This is the reality of his finished work. This is teaching us to deny ungodliness and to live uprightly. Because, my God, we're people of his own possession. We're his. And he even says, last one, that we are zealous for good deeds. Did you know that about you? You are actually zealous for good deeds. What about all the impulses that are zealous for bad deeds? That's not you. That's not who you are. That's not your new heart. That is the power of sin, yes, that's still alive in these mortal bodies, but that's not who you are. It's not your new heart, your new man, your new woman. It's not you. So he has actually created us with new desires. Back in the Old Testament, he says that the day will come, talking about the new covenant, when I will actually take my desires and I will write them on your hearts and on your minds. That's what we have. We are, zeal- we are actually by nature zealous for good deeds. When we're living by commands, living by laws, living by fear, the idea is, hey, I know you don't really want to do this, but... You better. It's not really your na- It's not really what you want to do, but you better. That's not the gospel. That's that's out of order. The order is he has actually birthed you from his very lawns, and you are his righteousness and have his desires in your new heart. So see how the grace of God instructs us to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. It's not hard. We see what he's done to us and for us and we grow in the reality of what is fitting. Wow, you mean to tell me that I am clean, I am pure, I am righteous? That means, wow, you know what? Yeah, I am going to be temperate as an old man. As a woman, yes. I'm, that, that, gossip doesn't fit. Why would, I, why would I tear someone down through gossip to build myself up? That doesn't fit because I'm already a people of his own possession. How much more valuable could I get why do I need to tear someone else down and make me feel better about myself? How can, I feel be- how can I feel any better about myself than being a people of his own possession makes me feel about myself? And so all of these things, they're not lists of do's and don'ts that he just said in verse 1 through 10. It's this is what fits when the gospel of God's grace fuels these good deeds. You're actually, it's from you. It's of you. Last verse. These things, what things? What he just said. 
This is what you speak. That it's the grace of God that instructs us to live. This is what you teach. You don't teach Moses. You don't teach a Moses 2.0. If you're going to teach Moses, you teach Jesus in light of Moses. Because Moses was actually writing about Jesus. So you teach how Jesus fulfilled the commandments of Moses. And that you now have been born of this, new, this, this spirit of God. Exhort, encourage, edify the believers in this way and reprove. If someone stands against this, you say, thus saith the Lord. And if you don't believe that, here's a letter from Paul. Reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is the order. The order of the church, the order of Christianity, the order of this new covenant is, yes, good deeds are God's desire. But when they are instructed by and fueled by God's grace, not commandments, not laws, but his grace. In fact, that's our journey marker. God's order, remember, set in order, what's out of order, here's his order. Godly behavior as learned or fueled by God's grace. You see, there can be godly behavior, but not learned and fueled by God's grace. It can be learned and fueled by laws. I mean, we, we, let's be honest. There, have, there could possibly be in this world much more moral people than those of us who have really bought into the grace of God. Let's just be honest. That's possible. But that's not God's order. Because the good deeds, the good behavior is being done by fear, self-righteousness, trying to get great, gain ground with the Lord, trying to not lose ground with the Lord. That's not his order. It's not just about behavior. It's godliness being produced, fueled the by, as a byproduct from the growing revelation of our new life in Christ. So his order is for us to proclaim these things with boldness that you are righteous, you are clean. There is no sin left to be forgiven. None. You are a people of his own possession. Now, how's that, now, what does that make you, what is that, what does that by nature fuel you to do? Does that make sense? That's the order. But we have gotten it backwards in Christianity from the beginning almost. This is just a few years after Christ. They had it backwards. We get it backwards because we're trying to just not hang on the tree of the knowledge of evil. We're trying to move over to another branch, to the knowledge of good. But what's the problem? We're still hanging on the same tree, which brought death to Adam and Eve. There's another tree, the tree of life, Christ himself. And as we receive him, his life is our life. And as natural as it is for an orange tree to produce oranges, it is as natural for you to produce the godliness of Christ himself because it's his life. But only when it is his grace that fuels it. This is the order of Titus, to Titus, of Christianity. We have choices to make. Say, well, that kind of cool for 2,000 years ago, but we need laws, rules, and regulations to curb sinning. If it was truth then, I say it's truth now. 
and we need to get in order. That's all I have for this morning. We're going to see more of this in chapter 3 next week, but I hope this made some sense um, as we are walking through this very, you know, a small but, God, powerful little letter, right, to Titus. Any, um, any questions or thoughts or, or comments or but whatabouts before we uh, head out that were going through your mind as we were walking through this? Yeah, Craig? Yeah, that's a great way of saying it. Just talking about like where it's all coming from. And so this past year, I had been wanting to do some observations of different teachers. Just to, I was getting burnt out, getting in a rut. I wanted to go look at some different lessons, kind of watch how other teachers organize their rooms and work through the day. And I guess I don't know if it was some sort of initiative or something, but we in a faculty meeting were told. Um, you have two weeks to go observe two people, take notes, come back, report at the next meeting. And it was like, for months I have been wanting to do this. I've been trying to talk with people to try to figure out what would be a good time for me to come. Mm -hmm. I was excited about it. As soon as it became something I had to do, or I had to write a report, come back, give up another planning period to get into a faculty meeting, it was like it just sucked the life right out. Yeah. Um, when I did go and observe. I mean, I saw some things that were some good takeaways, and I I guess I did learn something out of it, but the, the heart and the intent behind it completely transformed as soon as it became a command versus yeah. something that was I was zealous about. Right. Um, yeah. Both the scripture. That's a great... But it was like, that was a, that was a very tangible... <laughs> I've been yeah. told to do this versus I want to do this. Yeah. That's a great example. That's a great example. I bet that, I bet many could testify that same thing in work environment through like micromanagement or something along those lines that are probably intended for a good outcome, but it, it squashes the internal drive of wanting to do it yourself. Yeah. It was like immediate. <laughs> yeah. I had talked to other teachers too because I, you know, talking in the halls one day, hey, can I come see your podcast? Yeah. Yeah. Up, right. Every yeah. Like, oh, man. Yep. <laughs> yep. And if and if it was done by all the other teachers, hey, it, it got done. But was there truly a desire with it? Yeah. Right, Brian. So I have something. It's, it's sort of funny because this sort of goes to order, um, in a, in like sequence, sequential order. Um, and my question is, um, maybe this is a lot to unpack today, but when you think about living through the the belief in the grace of God, et cetera. I think that that is definitely the goal, and that's how we should live. But for some people, and I'll use like math as, as an example, you don't learn like how mathematics work in uh, trigonometry and whatnot. You are told these theorems. You may not understand them, but you can apply them, uh -huh. and that's what you do. And later in life, you learn, oh, that's why that works. I can take that and do so much more with the basis right. now that I have mm -hmm. the true root of why I was yeah. doing it that way all those right. years. Yeah. So, and we do the same thing with kids, right? Mm -hmm. You don't tell your kid, you try to tell your kids, you don't want to do that because of, mm -hmm. you know, caring and love and this sure. is how you want to treat other people, but you have to give them rules yeah. otherwise. Mm -hmm. 
they probably won't come to the conclusion themselves. Sure. What's right and wrong. Yeah. So it's a question of like the order of does it make sense for people to live by rules and then bring them to the understanding of the reason for those rules is grace and this other fundamental way of living um, yep. on the way to that fuller understanding right. and yeah. having that sort of Intermediate. That, anyway, yeah, I, I think that's, that's exactly how Paul describes it, like in Galatians. Jim, you might want to speak to this because he has more experience with this than me. But in Galatians, he talks about the law being a schoolmaster, a tutor that leads us to Christ. In Timothy, he writes Timothy and he tells Timothy, the law is not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. And so, uh, and he says, before he says, the law is good as long as it's used lawfully. It's for the unrighteous, not the righteous. And so there is a very real and necessary purpose of the law to uh, bring us to an awareness of God's goodness and God's grace. But once, um, and I say law, I don't mean necessarily just, you know, the, the, the Ten Commandments word, but just like the, 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 any sort of do this and live, do that and be you know, cursed or whatever. But, but the issue becomes once I'm now born of the Spirit, I now have His Spirit. I now have His desire. I now am of Him. And so if we teach believers, no matter how old or young they are, that by doing these things we are growing closer and getting better and whatever... That's, I think, where we have to draw the line. But to teach my child there's consequences to misbehavior, there's, there's consequences in this world of, of, uh, of, of, of hurting other people, et cetera, that's, that's wisdom because that's truth. There is. Um, a quick example is... Uh, I don't know, and we hope they understand it themselves later in life. Right. It's not just but to divide the line, though, that God is no longer holding any sin, condemnation whatsoever, but this world, you know, the system of this world, you know, you go out and, you know, in class and punch your table mate, you're going to get in trouble. Well, I thought God forgave me all my sins. Yeah, he did, but your teacher didn't. Like this is this world versus another world. But my point is, as we live from that world, the desire to punch my table mate will never come about because my desire is to love as I am loved. And so, yes, there is definitely, we have to teach. Yeah, right, exactly. Non-argumentative, I think, is what he said there to the bond servant. But the, the point, the bigger point is, um, as for my children at least, I'm not going to tell you how to raise your children, but my children, until they, until I know that they have been born of the Spirit, I don't assume they've been born of the Spirit. And so the, I don't want to appeal to their inner man if, they, if their inner man is not new, if they've not been born again. I want to uh, use, call it law, to lead them I towards their need for Jesus. Sure. And then there's, yeah. a, there's a thought there that in any church there are going to be people at different places in their journey. Yeah. So for some people, it may be helpful for them because they don't fully feel or understand the, yep. the way that that grace and yeah, and next week in chapter 3, we'll actually see a very strange, peculiar insight 
because even with the child uh, or the unbeliever, we tend to think that the vengeance of God, the pending judgment of God is what's going to get them to change their mind. I remember at age five, and I was told about if I died without asking Jesus in my heart that I would spend eternity in hell. I'm like, tell me what I got to say, because I don't want that. But I was clueless about Christ, clueless about his grace, clueless about his mercies. And so what we'll actually see in chapter three is it's not an image of vengeance that causes repentance. It's actually his kindness. That's revolutionary to me in my faith journey of life. Jim, did you have, I see you have, did you have something you want to add to that? That's a, that's a really big, important question in parenting. Well, I mean, you said it very well. I would just say the law was a schoolmaster to break you and then become of age, you know, longer than a schoolmaster. So that's a sort of correlation between believers. It, it now, the Gentiles were never invited to the law. Right. Which includes the Big Ten. Right. So, but we have the, the knowledge of the tree of uh, right and wrong in us, in all of us. Right. We have that. And your conscience is is the mediator there. When you do good, your conscience says, not a boy, not a girl. When you do bad, your conscience says, you shouldn't have done that. But your conscience can be defiled. Right. So that's how the unbeliever Gentile works in this world. By the, still the knowledge right. of right and wrong. Right. Right. That's not order. Right. Yeah. So. You gonna say something? I, I just I think like it sort of feels like it's a good blueprint to look back to to say if I'm if I'm living in the grace of God like the Ten Commandments are things that should come out of me naturally like that should be those should be things that I strive mm -hmm. for out of my desire to live like Christ, live in that grace. Yeah, yeah. So what you're saying is... So if I look at something, I'm like, oh, well, I'm doing something that's clearly in those rules, then it gives me a sense to not say I'm worse or better, but right. to reevaluate and say, hey, what am I, what am I missing in my mm -hmm. own interpretation of grace? Right. So, for example, as we walk by grace, we will not be led to bear false witness, yeah, for, example. Sure, for example. Yeah. Um, we have to be somewhat careful because, uh, like, like one of the Ten Commandments is uh, the Sabbath, you know. And so if we, if, if we just have to be, I think, somewhat careful that we don't, you know, uh, that, that we, we, get, we can, how can I say this quickly? We can um, even get off track if we're not careful by using any of the law as a measuring tool of how well I am doing or not doing. We can, not, we don't have to get off track, but we can 
Because remember, the law was a unit. And so if, if I'm not careful, I could say, hey, um, gosh, I just ate shellfish. Man, that's not of the Lord, you know. So we have to be careful. Um, the law is not the goal. It's not the, the, um, the front, front windshield. It's definitely the rear view saying that that's what led us here. Um, but I do like your illustration. I'm going to think about that more about how we learn two plus two is four. We have to learn that before we can do like the bigger stuff. But if it wasn't for that stuff, we wouldn't really understand the bigger stuff. Right. That's yeah. a good illustration. I'm going to think about that. Yeah. It's like, oh, it makes such sense. From, right? Yeah, right. Awesome. Bob, you're going to say something? Yeah, that's, that's, that's right on. I love how it says, the grace of God is your instructor. He is your teacher. Um, I, we don't think of the grace of God in that way, I don't think. We think of it as bringing salvation to all men, but now it's something else that needs to teach us, you know, wh- how to live. And it's the same. It's what started us, continues us, and it's, it's Him. It's His grace. It's His life. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, awesome, man. Good stuff. Hopefully this is uh, thought-provoking. What Jim was referring to about the um, conscious and whatnot, if you read, want to read more about that, Romans chapter 1 and 2. I was just reading that yesterday, and it's just, it's just so dynamic of how Paul puts that into just an amazing narrative or argument about the necessity for Christ, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. We're all doomed apart from Christ. And so uh, really awesome stuff to read. Well, let's close with a word of prayer. If you guys want to stick around and help uh, put some chairs away, if anybody wants to help clean up the uh, coffee and stuff, uh, Jonas and Rachel have to take off for an event. And so if somebody else can help pick that up, um, that'd be fantastic. You can stand if you want. You can keep your seat. I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this love that has been shed abroad in our hearts. We thank you that we have the ability today to learn from your very grace towards us. 
that has purchased us, redeemed us from every lawless deed, that has purified us for yourself, a people of your own possession, zealous by nature for good deeds. It's who we are. It's what is. And now we can just live as we are, not out of fear, not out of desire to gain righteousness, but because we are righteous. We are beloved. We are your, as you are, so are we now in this world. And so there were any righteous behavior, righteous deeds, good deeds is the outflow of who we are. And your spirit is so wonderful, your grace is so good that it can show us where we are not right living. But not in condemnation, but in instructing like a child. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness, and as we'll see next week, specifically your kindness that motivates this living. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week, guys. We love you. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.